The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed me over two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Are you disturbed by this Gospel reading? Because I am. I mean, it ends with, As for this worthless slave, throw him out into the utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What are we to make of this parable that Jesus is telling his disciples, that Jesus is telling to us? He doesn't begin this one like the other ones where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. Traditionally, This parable has been preached on in the context of stewardship and tithing. God is the master, gives us these bountiful gifts, and we are to be like the first two slaves who spend it, multiply it, look at what we've been given as a gift, and go out into the world to do good for others with the gifts we've been given that we shouldn't be like the third slave and bury the talents and gifts that we've been given by God, to not waste what we have by hiding it, hoarding it. God's gifts aren't ours to keep for ourselves. 
which is all good and wonderful. That is a great message to have. So here's my stewardship plug today. We are in hard and challenging times with this pandemic. Yes, it has certainly looked different and isn't always what we want it to be, but that shouldn't stop us or make us afraid to keep giving to God what is God's, to support the ministries of this church and community, and to keep supporting good, good things that we can do with the beautiful gifts that we've been given. Treasurer, council president, that's my plug for today. Now back to the parable. What if we look at this another way? Just like we did a few weeks ago with the master at the wedding feast, where I talked about the master is traditionally thought of as God. What if we look at this parable and flip it upside down as well? So we'll need some context. In Jesus's day, talents were huge, precious metals weighing between 80 and 130 pounds. For context, I weigh 95 pounds. So those were really, really big. Elizabeth size worth. A single talent was worth 20 years of a day laborer's salary. So these are lottery-sized, big, jackpot winnings that only the elite possess. But how did the elite get that much wealth? Well, they took advantage of those who had less than them, those who were desperate. They'd give out loans at exorbitant rates, and farmers would have to take them out of desperation, put up their homes and farms as collateral. Then a drought would hit, or a family member would grow ill. The crop would yield too little, at which the agreed-to interest rates would force foreclosure, and that poor person would have to surrender their land to the elite and join the landless day laborers who didn't know where their next meal would come from. That's how so few amassed so much wealth. So those three slaves, they're essentially the middlemen who oversee the land, collect the debts, and keep the profits coming while the master travels around on business. Sure, they'd make a little bit on the side by charging the farmers additional fees and interests. They're just trying to play the game and stay alive, keep the master happy. The more money they make for him, the better their own lives become. So two of the slaves do exactly what they're told. They double the monies out in the world on the backs of the poor. How many fields did they seize? How many farmers did they impoverish? How many families did they destroy? Does it even matter? They fulfill the bottom line. They make a profit. When the master comes back and sees what they accomplished on his behalf, he, en he invites them to enter into his joy. The joy of further wealth, further profit, further exploitation. When we get a little bit more context, this parable takes a really different feel, doesn't it? doesn't seem like something to be celebrating. It doesn't seem so joyful now. I mean, who would you really want to be in this story? Slave one, two, or three? They were just doing what they were told, right? 
looking out for their jobs, their families, their lives. I think the reason this parable disturbs me so much is because it feels like a commentary on our lives today, like someone wrote this for us right now. Sure, the gospel writer of Matthew had a specific context in mind when he wrote the story down, and yet it is still a commentary for us 2,000 years later. And I can't stop thinking about what Rabbi Amy Jill Levine had said, Religion should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Are you uncomfortable? Because I am. Let's dive deeper into this parable. The third slave, the one who chooses to opt out, who stands up to the master's greed, they stand up to the corrupt and the dishonest system of injustice the dishonest system of gain, a system based on oppression of others and creates injustice. The third slave does this knowing that it will cost him. So he buries it, doesn't sell it, doesn't run away with it. He just buries it and keeps on working, essentially refusing to continue to participate any longer takes it out of circulation where it will do no more harm to the poor. The slave is the quiet hero, the whistleblower, and it comes at a great cost to himself. I think he looks at how he has participated in this exploitation of others, a system that he has benefited from for years, and he takes an honest look at himself and decides not to participate any longer even calls out the master's greed in verse 24. I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. What systems of injustice do we participate in today? What systems are we aware of and yet do nothing to change it? Where do we reap where we do not sow? where we gather, where we did not scatter seed? How can we be more like the third slave in this story? I think the tough part about being that third slave is that he's ostracized for standing up to the master and poverty that probably followed from his choice. But isn't that what Christianity is all about? Maybe this parable really is about the world we occupy right now. Theologian Debbie Thomas said this in a commentary, quote, This is a parable about what faithfulness looks like in hard, hidden places. A parable about our complicity and the high stakes involved in ending it. A parable about speaking truth to power. A parable about opting out of systems of oppression and exploitation, even and especially when we are accustomed to benefiting from such systems. A parable about interrupting business as usual for the sake of justice and mercy. A parable about turning reality upside down in the name of love. 
a parable about saying enough is enough when it comes to the abuse and the marginalization of the world's most vulnerable people, a parable about the rejection, impoverishment, and loneliness we might suffer if we take seriously the call of God, end quote. Maybe this is too hard. Maybe we just ignore this week's parable and move on like our lives aren't affected. But then, is that really what it means to be a faithful Christian? Can we really listen to something like this and not be afflicted by it? Are we that comfortable in the world that we have built? Are we being faithful if we just listen to the words of Jesus and not be changed by them? This is the second to last parable that Jesus will tell his disciples. There is urgency to what he is telling to them, what he's saying to us. We are just one chapter away from the betrayal, denial, and the crucifixion of Jesus. So much is at stake. He needs his disciples to understand. He needs us to understand. Jesus is trying to shake them awake to rethink everything they have taken for granted about the world. To shake us awake, to look critically at our own history, our own world, how our society has been built how power is divided. And Jesus is preparing us for a new way of experiencing reality. The kingdom of heaven is so very different from the way the master rules the land. So very different from the way we've been living in our own world. But it's scary. I admit it. I don't want to be thrown out into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds absolutely horrible. But isn't that kind of what Christianity is all about? Standing up to the bullies in the face of injustice? Standing up to sin, death, the devil, to all the powers that defy God? Taking the risk into the unknown, into what could be darkness? Maybe not literal darkness, but it could involve losing some friendships. It may involve those really awkward, hard conversations over dinner. Or like Jesus, it may involve death, death of self, death of worldviews. We are called in so many different ways to see the world with fresh eyes, fresh thinking, because we know what it feels like to receive love, grace, forgiveness, and for it to change us, transform us, not out of fear, but out of love. This is the kind of God we believe in, one that fundamentally changes who we are and our relationship to others through love. Not fear, not through a system of injustice, not through weeping and gnashing of teeth, but love. You know, earlier in the book of Matthew, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something that speaks well to this parable. He says, No one can serve two masters, 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be destroyed to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The slave, the third slave, could not do the will of his earthly master because his heart was already set on serving God. So let it be so with ours. Let us serve our God with our devotion, our love, our way of life through love. Amen.